Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. Like Meredith said earlier, my name is, is Phil, and we have the incredible privilege of, of pastoring Cornerstone Church Actually, I'm gonna remember this, Meredith. So Meredith and I give each other feedback on a regular basis about all kinds of different things in life, and uh, including preaching and speaking and all of those kinds of things. We wanna make sure that we keep getting more and more effective at being able to communicate the gospel. And what she has said to me is that regularly, I spend my time speaking to this side of the room. She said that I speak far too much to this side of the room. And I said, well, it's because you sit on this side of the room and I like looking at you so much. And you like how I turned that, right? But I just wanna say, I am so sorry for neglecting this side of the room. And so I'm gonna commit to preaching this entire message facing in this direct, no, I'm not at all, not at all. But we have, um, I love Meredith, and, uh, and we've been married. Actually, next month is going to be 10 years for us. Come on, a decade of marriage. We were, we were married back in 2012, and if you don't know, we actually got married in Hawaii because we looked at a map, and we knew that Toledo was up here, and Sydney, Australia was down here, and so we wanted to find somewhere that was kind of like roughly in the middle. I had grown up in Sydney, Australia, and so we wanted to find something where my side of the family could travel half the way, and her side of the family could travel half the way, and so we chose Hawaii. It just happens to be beautiful as well, but we just chose Hawaii because it was really strategically like right in the middle. And so we got married back in Hawaii in 2012, and we had one of those beautifully uh, organized weddings that's down on the beachfront, and you're out in the elements, and it's, it was just beautiful. And, and these kinds of weddings and events that are outside always seem like a great idea in the moment, and then you realize how much more difficult it is to plan an event for the outside because you have to now deal with the weather and the elements and the wind and all of these different kind of things. And so, I don't know if you remember this, Meredith, but I remember standing right before the wedding was getting ready to start and I'm standing there as the groom-to-be waiting for my bride-to-be to come and join me at the, at the altar, right? And so we're outside and we're down by the beach and it's picturesque, but the wind is blowing, right? And so Meredith turns the corner, the music has started playing, everybody is standing to their feet and it's this beautiful moment as we are getting ready to experience our life together and as a married couple. And she turns the corner and I've got all of the appropriate emotions going of stress and anxiety and excitement and nervousness and all of these kinds of things. And when I see her for the very first time, before I can even think how beautiful she looks, a gust of wind blows and catches, what's, what's the head thing called? The veil, catches her veil like a sail and detaches it from her head. And now this thing sails off to the point where the photographer now needs to chase this thing down. And I think your dad started chasing it down and people start leaving their seats and it's just this beautifully chaotic moment as the music is playing and I'm standing there waiting and we're laughing about it. And then eventually we grab the, the veil, right? And we attach, she attaches it back to her head and then she joins me down at the altar and, 
and it was a beautiful time, but that was really the start of our <laughs> married life together. The, the song that was playing, I don't know if it had to loop and repeat back because you spent so much time waiting there or you just had to like double time and walk quickly down the aisle, but we had such a, a beautiful, beautiful ceremony. We had such beautiful music and we had this one song in our wedding that was, that's a song called I Will Follow that is a song, um, it, it's really pulled from the, the scripture that we see in the book of Ruth that says that I will follow you. It's a scripture that talks about where you go, I'll go, and where you stay, I'll stay, and your God will be my God, and your people will be my people, all of these kinds of things. And so what we wanted to do was to include that song to talk about the commitment that we were making to each other, that your people will be my people, and your God will be my God, and all of those kinds of things. And the issue with that is that that scripture isn't necessarily talking about the covenant that exists between a husband and a wife. That is a covenant and a commitment that takes place between a, a woman and her mother-in-law. And it's beautiful, but it really has nothing to do with a husband and a wife. And we do this regularly in the church. We do this regularly in weddings. We take a scripture that means this, and we take it over here, and we use it like this. Like where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay, right? And we do it in other ways as well. We do it in the ways, like there's a scripture that says that two are better than one. You might have heard that in a wedding before. You might have even included that scripture in your wedding if you're married. The reality is, is that scripture really has nothing to do with marriage either. That scripture is to do with like friendship and community and doing life together. Two are better than one. And these are good scriptures, but they don't actually have anything to do with marriage. And we do it all the time throughout the Bible. We take verses that mean one thing and we take them to mean something else. We do, it, we do it from Genesis to Revelation. In Genesis, when God is creating the world, when God is literally in the middle of the creation story, he has created the universe and he has put the stars in the sky and he says that it's good. And then God creates the world and then he separates the sky from the earth and he separates the earth from the sea and God says that it is good, it is good, it is good. And then all of a sudden God says something is not good. God says that it is not good for man to be alone. He says that it is not good for man to be alone. And just keep in mind that God says that it's not good for man to be alone. Adam, Adam never actually said that. It, if, if Adam is anything like most men that I know, the reality is, is that Adam probably wasn't feeling that himself. Adam was like, no, I'm cool with just me and the animals. I'm, I think that life is fun. I'm good when it's just like me, myself, and I, and I don't need nobody else, right? But God says that it is not good for man to be alone. God says that there needs to be a helper that is suitable for Adam, Right? The reality is, is that there already exists animals that are in the world. And God says that they were his helpers, but they are not suitable helpers because they are below him. And so God says that they are not suitable helpers for him. And we know that God is also his helper, but God is not a suitable helper for Adam because God is above him. And God says that it is not good for Adam to be alone, that he needs a helper that is suitable for him. And so God pulls a rib out of his side and ensures that he creates someone who is equal to him, not someone who is behind him or beneath him, not someone who is in front of him or above him, but God creates somebody who is his equal. And God creates Eve 
for Adam to be his helper. And often we take this word helper and we mean it kind of in a critical sense. We mean it often in a sense of like that it has less value or it has less importance or less significance. And many men take this term that the woman is to be the helper and they think, well, therefore, if she is to be my helper, then she needs to do all of the cooking and she needs to do all of the cleaning and she needs to raise the kids. But this is not what the word helper means. The same word helper is how God describes himself to the Israelites. He says that he is their helper. And how many know that God was not doing the cooking and the cleaning and raising the children of the Israelites, right? This, is, this word helper is not to do with being less than or less significant or less important. It's being a helper. And God said that it was not good for man to be alone, and so he creates Eve for Adam to be his helper, to be his equal. And it's important for us to realize what God says in this and to remember what God doesn't say. God says it is not good for man to be alone. God does not say it is not good for man to be unmarried. He says it is not good for man to be alone. And so God creates Eve to be in community with Adam, not necessarily to be his wife. God creates Eve to be in community with Adam, not necessarily to be married to him. God says that it is not good for man to be alone. He doesn't say that it is not good for man to be unmarried. And, and so often we hear this scripture and we teach this scripture that it is not good for you to be alone, therefore you should get married. But that's not what the scripture says. And the good thing about this scripture is that, is that marriage doesn't necessarily help you with your loneliness. The good news for you if you're single is that you can be alone, but you don't have to be lonely, right? That's the good news of this scripture, is that God says it is not good for you to be alone. He doesn't say anything here about how it is good or not good for you to be unmarried. And, uh, and your life is going to get a whole lot better when you realize that marriage is not your cure for your issues that you have. Right, like so often what we do when we're single, we think that we struggle with this issue and then all I need to do is get married and then the very fact that I'm getting married is now going to fix the issue that I have. It doesn't work like that. If you struggle with lust and pornography as you're single and you have the belief that all I need to do is to get married and therefore I can have sex all the time with my, you think that that's gonna fix the issue for you? Your issue is that you objectify men and women. Your issue is not the fact that you're single. Getting married is not going to fix the issue for you. In the same way that if you struggle with loneliness and depression and anxiety, getting married is not going to help you with that. And that is an unfair weight for you to put on your spouse. That is an unfair burden for you to put on somebody else where you now expect for them to be the solution for the fact that you have unresolved issues within your own life. 
It's not fair for you to put that expectation on somebody else. You need to deal with that. And you need to take that to God. And you need to be healed from that. Your spouse can't heal you. God can. And so often, we, we, have, we fail to realize that God, in, in the very fabric of our relationship with him, will meet all of our needs. Right? Like, often when we think, like, I'm broke, and I don't have enough money to pay my bills, so therefore I need to get a new job, or therefore I need to get a better job, or therefore I need to get a promotion so that I can make more money. There might be some truth in that. But you also have to recognize that God is your source. You also have to recognize that God is your provider, right? You might have ailments and issues and illness and sickness in your body. And so the first thing that you want to do is to run to a doctor and to seek medical professionals and medical intervention. And there might be some goodness in that. But you also have to recognize that the God that created you can also be the God that heals you. That he wants to heal you in your body. Right? And so God creates us for community. I would say that God has created us to crave community. And you might not be ready to accept that. You might not be ready to receive that today because you're like, you know what? Just me and my dog, we're cool, (laughs) right? Like all I need is Netflix. All I need is my pet. I don't need nobody else. I'm cool, right? I hope that you're not a cat person, but hopefully you realize that you need more than a pet to be in community with. When Jesus was on earth and he ascended back into heaven, he left us with two things. He left us with the Holy Spirit and he left us with each other. And so when he said that it is not good for man to be alone, he wasn't just talking about Adam. He was talking about you as well. And so when God says it is not good for us to be alone, he has provided for us exactly what we need. And I get it when we say um, that we, all we need is Jesus, right? Uh, I get that because we, we sing songs about it. Matter of fact, we sung a song about it earlier, that all we need is Jesus, right? There is truth in that, that all you need is Jesus. I get that. I believe that. But I also believe that I need air, right? That you're not going to go very far if you don't have oxygen. I also believe that you're not going to make it very far if you don't have food. I also believe that we have other needs, that you're going to need water at some stage in your life if you choose to keep on living, right? Yes, on one hand, there is truth that all you need is Jesus, but also there is tension and the reality that you also need things that God has created and provided for us. And so there is more than Jesus that is available to us, and we need more than Jesus if we are going to continue to survive, and, uh, and so I want to spend, spend the next few minutes talking about loneliness. Because I don't, I don't think that we talk about it enough. I've been, I've been thinking and studying about loneliness for, for weeks now. I've read, 
I've read dozens of articles, hundreds of pages of research about loneliness, about what it is and how it impacts us and, and what does God say about it and scripture that is available to us, all of these kinds of things. And my conclusion is that we don't talk about it enough, right? Because this is something that just about all of us experience. Whether you choose, if I, if I asked you to raise your hand if you struggle with loneliness, the reality is that most of us should raise our hand. Many of us probably wouldn't because we wouldn't want to recognize it in a room full of people or we wouldn't want people online to see that we are responding in this way. But the statistics show, a, a huge study came out back in 2012. Like just, if you can remember back to pre-COVID, right? Like BC, before COVID. If you can remember back that long, a huge study came out that polled thousands and thousands of people around the world, okay? And what it said was that 60% of people struggle with loneliness on a regular basis. 60%. So if you looked across the room, if you look around the room right now, the first three or four people that you make eye contact with, they probably also struggle with loneliness just like you do. That's the reality. That's the human condition that we currently find ourselves in. We don't like to talk about it because it's painful. We don't like to talk about it sometimes because we're ashamed, because we don't think that other people are struggling with it. We think that it's just us that struggle with it. But the statistics show very clearly, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what demographic that you look at, it doesn't matter about how you slice that demographic in different kind of ways, the statistics stay the same, that a majority of people struggle with loneliness. It doesn't matter whether you look at men or women, majority of you struggle with loneliness. It doesn't matter whether you look at, at rich people or poor people, the majority of you struggle with loneliness. It doesn't matter about the age that you look at. Older people struggle with loneliness. In this study that I was just mentioning, they asked older people where your primary source of, uh, of company comes from. You know what the answer was? Not family, not friends. The primary source of company for older people is their TV. Sad. God has not made us for that. And it's not just older people that struggle with this. Younger people struggle with this, right? The the generation that is more connected now than ever before, the generation that spends 98% of our time within six feet of our phones, these devices that were designed and created to ensure that we were always connected to people, we feel more isolated and lonely than ever before. And the statistics show, you might be interested, that the more that you are on social media, the more lonely that you actually become. The less, therefore, than you are on social media, the less lonely that you become. We use all of these apps, we use all of these devices to try and get into community, to try and fight off loneliness, but the more that we use these things, the less that we are in healthy relationships, the less that we are in healthy community with people. And so it doesn't matter what demographic you look at, it doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter what spectrum, where you find yourself on the spectrum of ability, it doesn't matter if your home is full and busy, it doesn't matter if you live by yourself. The majority of us struggle and wrestle with loneliness. And so I wanna talk about it because 
Because this study that came out in, in 2020, right? Just two years ago, this study that came out, it is only more so true now. How many know that with things like social distancing and isolation and quarantine and remote working and, and all of these kinds of things, remote, remote learning for our students, all of these things that have now taken place over the last couple of years only have created an environment where our isolation and our loneliness is now an exponential problem. Even more than it was just a couple of years ago, this is true for us today, and so I wanna talk about it. I wanna press into it, I wanna deal with this. Because this is not just something that impacts our emotional state. This is not just something that impacts our, our psychological state. This is something that impacts all of our health, our physical health as well. Check this. What, this is what we know, right? Loneliness has been shown to decrease the ability for our brain to experience pleasure. As well as that, it impacts our ability to deal with stress. What that means is that if you have a great experience in your life. If you come to a concert on Friday night and the room is full and it's an enjoyable experience and everything is great, if you're struggling with loneliness, that experience is going to be less enjoyable for you. As well as that, the reality is, is that if you're going through a stressful, difficult time in your life, you are less able to cope with that because of having loneliness in your life as well as that, you, you might not smoke cigarettes today, but struggle, and, and that's great, and, and I love that, but the reality is, is that if you struggle with loneliness, loneliness is as bad for your health as smoking 15 cigarettes per day. Loneliness is worse for you than obesity. This is not just what we think. This is what we know. This is after studying and research and scientists and everybody has been studying. This is what we know. Loneliness is associated with stroke and high blood pressure. We know that unresolved loneliness leads to dementia. We know that loneliness increases your risk of death by 26%. And that loneliness is one of the primary factors in early death. And we don't talk about it. Is it all right if we talk about it for a little bit? Is it all right if we press into this just a little bit? This is, this is heavy stuff, but I feel like we need to get healed from this. We need to resolve this in our lives. And if, if this is something that's, that's your experience, then I know that you're probably here and you're probably listening and you already think, well, I know my reality, right? I know my situation. I hate that I wrestle with loneliness and this is my struggle and I'm tired of this and I don't want to experience this anymore. So I don't need you just telling me how bad the reality of loneliness is, right? I get that. And so we're gonna deal with this. We're gonna deal with this uh, two ways. Firstly, we're gonna deal with this in a very practical sense. I'm gonna give you five things that I've found to be really helpful, five very practical things that you can write down and you can consider implementing those things in your own life. We're gonna do that practically. And then secondly, we're gonna pray. Because I believe that we don't just wrestle against flesh and blood, that's what scripture says. We believe that there is also a spiritual life that is going on, there is a spiritual battle that is going on as well. And so we're gonna wrestle against this spiritually because I believe that the devil doesn't fight fair. 
And I know that there are key moments that take place in our life where the spirit of loneliness tries to attach itself onto you. Maybe it's, maybe it's the death of a spouse and the spirit of loneliness tries to attach itself onto you. Maybe it's moving from one city to a new city. And in that moment, the spirit of loneliness tries to attach itself onto you. Maybe it's that your kids have just grown and moved out of your home and you're now empty nesters for the very first time. And in that moment, the spirit of loneliness tries to attach itself onto you. Maybe it's just something as simple as you weren't invited to that party that all of your friends were invited to. And now you're wrestling with loneliness because this spirit has attached itself onto your life and the devil doesn't fight fair. And so we're gonna declare the name of Jesus and Jesus is going to bring freedom into your life in just a couple of moments when we pray and we believe that he can do what only he can do. And we're gonna do that in just a little bit, but first we're gonna talk about these five things that practically we can do. I'm just serving you notice that we're getting ready to pray and declare Jesus and that you're gonna be healed in the name of Jesus, amen? All right, so the first thing that, we, that you can do is to recognize the feeling and give it to God, not to everybody else. Recognize the feeling of loneliness and give it to God. Don't give it to everybody else. All right, it's tempting to do that. It's tempting to tell other people. It's tempting to pull other people into our experience. Recognize the feeling of loneliness and give it to God. You can't declare Jesus over something that you have not recognized in your own life. You can't get healed for something that you have not named. If the name of Jesus is above every other name, then we need to name something for us to get healed from that thing. So it's important that we recognize what we're dealing with and we name, I am feeling lonely. I am struggling with loneliness and we need to deal with this and then give it to God. Don't give it to other people. That means potentially sitting by yourself and journaling about this experience. That means potentially thinking about why am I struggling with loneliness? Because not everybody struggles with loneliness for the same reasons, right? Not everybody's experience of loneliness is the same, right? You might struggle with loneliness because you are alone and somebody else sitting next to you might struggle with loneliness because they have been overlooked or because they have been misunderstood. We have different roots of where loneliness comes from and we have different outcomes of what that loneliness looks like in our life. So get alone with God. Solitude is the first thing that you've got to do. And that might seem counterintuitive, right, because we're talking about loneliness and now I'm telling you to get alone, right? And you might think that that is the last thing that you need to do, I realize that. I realize that might seem ironic. I'm not saying to get alone, I'm saying to get alone with God. Get alone with your creator and he will begin to show you why you feel the way that you feel. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, so the first one, recognize the feeling and give it to God. Don't give it to everybody else. Secondly, realize that loneliness will not last forever, right? The lie of the enemy is that you will always struggle with this thing. The lie of the enemy is that you will never get better, that you will never experience healing, that you will never experience life on the other side of this thing. And if you believe that, if you think that your life will never get better, then it probably won't. 
if you have the belief that your life is never going to get better, it's only going to spiral and get worse. The second thing that you have to do is to recognize and accept that this is only temporary. This is not something that you are going to struggle with for the rest of your life in the name of Jesus. Amen? All right, so the third thing that we're going to do, examine your coping styles. Examine your coping styles. We, uh, we all try and compensate for difficult experiences and different emotions that we have, right? We all do this. This is not just true for me. I know that you do this too, okay? So we all try and compensate for difficult feelings and problems and issues that we have in our own life. I know that when I experience loneliness, it's because I am by myself. And so I try and compensate by getting myself into a room full of people. It doesn't matter who the people are. It doesn't matter whether I like the people or not. It doesn't matter whether I know the people or not. I just want to be surrounded by people, right? My wife knows this, knows this about me. I don't feel alone when I am surrounded by people. My wife, on the other hand, she feels most alone when she is in a room full of acquaintances, when she is in a room full of people that she doesn't know. She feels more alone then. And so her coping mechanism, the way that she compensates is that she wants to spend more and more time isolated and more and more time by herself. The way that I compensate, the way that I cope with this is that I try and make sure that I am surrounded by other people. The way that she compensates and copes with this is that she does the opposite. And it's important that you know this about yourself and that you know this about the people that you are in relationship with, people that you are close to. Know how you compensate. Know how you cope with these kinds of things. Examine your coping styles. One of the things that's really important with this one as well is to make sure that we experience delight in different ways. Right? What this means is to find the things that you love doing and do those things. That's all experiencing delight means. Find things that are life-giving to you, whether it's walking, whether it's painting, whether it's music, whether it's whatever it is, find things that are life-giving and do those things. Do them for yourself. Do them with your spouse. Do them with your friends. Do them with your family. Do those things. Experience delight. It's so important to make sure that we are experiencing delight in different areas. Fourth, Build on positive relationships. Build on positive relationships. Everybody, I don't, I don't care who it is today, everybody has at least one positive relationship in your life. You might be sitting next to them right now. Maybe they live, maybe it's your great aunt who lives on the other side of the country. I want you to think about the person that you have a positive relationship with and then think of ways that you can deepen that experience with that person. Build on the positive relationship that you have. And as you deepen that relationship, what you find is that you now have more confidence and more ability to venture out and to start new relationships with other people. And what I've found in life, I don't know why we do this, but the, can I... What I've just realized in life is that most people want other people to initiate events and experiences and activities. Most people don't want to do it themselves, but most people are open to doing it. This is what I learned years ago, that most people are like up for having fun. It doesn't matter whether it's going to the movie, it doesn't matter whether it's going to get coffee, it doesn't matter whether it's going out for a meal, whatever it is, most people are happy to do it as long as they didn't initiate it. Right? Most people are open to it. This is what I've learned in life. But for some reason, we don't initiate like we should. 
we're open to doing it provided that somebody else organizes it, that somebody else thinks about it, that somebody else puts the plans together. The problem with this, though, is that that puts all of the onus on somebody else for you to experience healthy community. And do you know whose responsibility it is for you to establish and to enjoy healthy community? It's yours. It's your responsibility to establish and to maintain healthy community. It's not your spouse's, it's not your siblings, it's not your friend's responsibility, it's not your church's responsibility, it's not my responsibility, it is your responsibility to establish and maintain healthy community for yourself. And we will help you with that and we will create things like life groups and and teams and different things that you can do and we have events and all kinds of great things that you can be a part of. But at the end of the day, it is your responsibility to establish and to maintain healthy relationship in your life. And I I know that you probably don't wanna hear that one because you want it to be someone else's responsibility, right? I just want to speak to, like, to the married couples and to single people separately right quick, right? So if you're married, please don't get boring. If you are going to get married, please don't get boring when you get married. So often, many of us that end up getting married, we get boring. We stop inviting people into our life. We stop living open lives that are full of community. We stop experiencing hospitality in our home. Don't get boring if you get married. Keep practicing hospitality on a regular basis. And then if you're single, please don't live like you're waiting. Don't live like you're waiting for somebody else. Live the most life-giving, joy-filled, action-packed life that you can possibly live now. Don't wait for somebody else. Don't wait for somebody to come along and complete you because that's not going to happen. Live life today. Don't live life like you're waiting. I'm not saying go and sin, I'm saying live life well, live life fully the way that God has created you to live. I don't know if I should say this one. Should I say it? You might not want me to say it in about two minutes though. All right, I'll say it. But, but seriously, please hear, my, please hear my heart in this, okay? Hear my tone correctly in this one, right? If you are living alone and you are struggling with loneliness, maybe living alone is not the best thing for you, right? Here in this community and in many other communities around the world, many of us live alone, right? And and I wanna be very sensitive here because I know that if you live alone, it might be for a variety of different reasons. Maybe you had a a traumatic experience, the passing of a loved one, maybe you are divorced and now you live alone. There could be a variety, maybe it isn't isn't because of your choosing, right? I, I acknowledge that. But if you live alone and you struggle with loneliness, maybe the right thing for you is to find someone else that is in a similar age and stage and season of life and to do life with that person and to move in with that person, right? 
And many of us don't want to do that. Many of us just like living by ourselves. But then our experience is loneliness, and we don't know what to do with that. Please hear me correctly, though. I'm not saying that it is sinful to live alone. You hear that correctly, right? I'm not, I'm not even necessarily saying that I don't recommend that you live by yourself. All I'm saying is, if you struggle with loneliness, and if you live by yourself, maybe there is something that you can do about that, right? Find somebody that might also be interested in living together. Fifth, last thing, get involved. Super simple, right? Get involved. Get involved here at the church. Get involved in a team. Get involved in a life group. We've got our next round, our next season that is coming up here in life groups. Get involved. Get involved at the church. Get involved in a, a nonprofit community, something that you are passionate about. Get, some of my best friends in life have come as a result of me volunteering and serving in different areas. And when I'm passionate about something over here and then someone else comes along that's passionate about the same kind of things, we become kindred spirits and build great relationships relationships together because we're passionate about the same kind of things. Find what you're passionate about and do it. Get involved in something. Start making a difference in your community, but get involved somewhere, right? The reality is, is that these five things that I pointed to and disappeared straight away, these five things that we were just talking about, these five things, these are practical things that you can be doing, right? Practically, they're good, but if that's all that you're doing, it's not gonna help you. If Jesus is not the foundation of what you're doing, if Jesus is not the foundation of your identity, you're never going to find your completeness. If you're always looking to other people to try and find satisfaction, you're never gonna find it. If Jesus is not the center of it all, you're gonna miss the point. If Jesus was not the center of this church, then this would just be a, a country club that gathered together and sung good songs and smiled to each other and, and shook hands and it would just be a nice place to gather on a Sunday morning. But this is not. This is a church that recognizes the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This is a church that keeps declaring Jesus over every situation. This is a church that realizes and recognizes that transformation can come when we declare Jesus over ourselves and over our communities, that transformation can take place. And we believe that your life can be altered when you speak Jesus, when Jesus heals your life, that Jesus can bring freedom into your life. And so, in just like 30 seconds, I want you to do something really bold if this is your experience, if you struggle with loneliness. And I know that this should be most people that are here today. This should be most people in the room. This should be most people that are joining online because I know the statistics. I know that over 60% of us struggle with loneliness, right? And if, if as I've been speaking more and more, you start thinking, this is me, and I'm tired of this experience, and I'm tired of going through this, and I'm tired of this being my reality, then I want you to stand to your feet in just a couple of moments because we are going to pray and decree and declare that this is not your portion, that healing is your portion, that freedom is your portion, that this is not your identity, that your identity is not found in the fact that the spirit of loneliness has attached itself to you. But we are going to pray and declare Jesus is going to change your life. If that's you, 
And you often know that it's you because your heart has started beating really hard on the inside of your chest, right? Then I want you to do something really bold. If you're ready to put this experience, this negative emotion of loneliness in your past, all loneliness is, is when your reality of your connections and your community is not what your expectations or your desires of your connections and your community are. That's what loneliness is. You experience loneliness when there is a mismatch, when the quality and the quantity of your connections and your community is not the same as what you want, right? The answer isn't necessarily for you to find more friends. The answer is for you to get healed and to be set free in the name of Jesus Christ. If that is you, on the count of three, I want you to do something really bold. I want you to stand to your feet and we are gonna pray and we are gonna declare and we are going to seek healing and freedom with you. One, two, three. I want you to stand to your feet if this is you and everybody else is celebrating, everybody else is is clapping, everybody else. Thank you for having the boldness to stand today. I believe that God is getting ready to heal you. I believe that healing is your portion. I believe that God is getting ready to do something profound in your life. If you're seated right now, maybe this is not true for you. Maybe you don't deal with loneliness and depression and anxiety and all of the other things that are attached and associated to it. Chances are, if you're seated right now, it's because you don't want to acknowledge that this is something that's true for you. I'm gonna give you one more chance right now, whether you are in person or whether you're joining online, that you want to stand right now and you want to seek the healing that only Jesus can provide. One, two, three. This is your second chance to stand right now and to say that, God, I want you to be with me. God, I want you to heal me. God, I want you to do what only you can do in this place. More people are standing around the room. Congratulations for saying yes today for saying, yes, that I want this to be true for me. I'm tired. I'm tired of dealing with this. And for everybody else, I want you to turn to the person that is nearest you. And I want you just to point in their direction as an indicator to say to them that I am with you in this moment. And we're gonna connect our faith together. And we are going to declare and to decree that God is doing what only God can do. Jesus, we come to you now in the name that is above every name, in the name that is above loneliness. We know that from the beginning of your creation that you said that it was not good for us to be alone. And we know that when sin entered into the world, it created separation. And God, we know that the lie of the enemy is that we are alone in our loneliness. But God, we are thankful that you are with us. We are thankful that you never leave us. God, we are thankful that we cannot be alone because you are always present. You are always with us. And so Jesus, with your full authority, empowered by the Holy Spirit today, we say that the spirit of loneliness has no more burden on these people. 
We say that the spirit of loneliness must go in the name of Jesus Christ. It must leave in the name of Jesus that it has no more bearing over these people's lives, that freedom is their portion, that peace is their portion, that healing is their portion, that in the place of the spirit of loneliness that we would find freedom and healing and all the fruit of the spirit. And we are thankful, God, that our identity is found in you. God, I'm, I'm, God, I'm thankful that the sons and daughters of, of you are finding our true identity in you today, God for the very first time, that we are seeing ourselves for the royalty that you have created us to be. God, we are tired of dealing with loneliness, but we are thankful that today everything changes. We are thankful that everything is being transformed in this moment that this is a moment to remember. This is a milestone moment. God, I'm thankful that you are doing something in this moment, that you are healing hearts. God, I'm thankful that you are expanding our mind, that you are proving to us about how much you love us in this moment. You're a good God. Thank you that you never leave us. Thank you that the spirit of loneliness is no more. God, thank you that we have been healed from this, that we have been set free from this, never to return again. May it never return again. May that foul spirit never return again the name of Jesus Christ. May our identity always be found in Jesus. Jesus, it's in your name that we've prayed and we believe full of faith that our identity is found in you and in you alone.